From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast, with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT, with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 200. 200 times of the Killing It podcast <laughs> look at us <laughs> and, uh, i think i've missed a few so i can't say i've said that 200 times but we've said it 200 times yes we i know i've missed a couple too and actually we're even doing the dream where we're, where we are not all in our usual spots this time because two of us are, in, are in we are locations. literally spanning the globe Oh, so so Dave, uh, you're on the <laughs> Pacific side of Panama. Correct. I'm on yeah. the Pacific. I'm in Panama City, Panama. Uh, but that is for me. That's the same time zone, which is nice. And Ryan's on the Atlantic side of the Acropolis. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am Athens, Greece. And uh, by the way, 64 degrees, blue skies today. It was absolutely spectacular. You know, I can't help myself. Did you know that the first French fries were made in Greece? Um, there, I know that I did not know that, but I did know that there were French fries. There were French fries on my gyro today. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. That's a Carl joke. All right, we're, I'm going to make us serious here for a minute. For 200, this is a great question of the day. If you could ask any one question and receive the true answer, what question would you ask? Well, I'm very shallow, so you said this was going to be a deep question, but I guess I, I, I want to know which stock is going to go up the most next year. I, I want the honest answer to that. The rest of it, I, I kind of like the, I like uh, going through a world where I have to figure shit out, so. See, I think a certain amount of uncertainty, certain uncertain, is uh, is a good thing because uncertainty is part of life. Nobody gets a guarantee and you gotta try things out. Uh, I swear I, I was noodling this and I couldn't narrow it down to a single one. Like I wanna know things about American history. I wanna know things about Roman history, about Greek history. There, there are things that have been pivotal that changed the course of humankind and I'm like, okay, who thought that was a good idea? That usually is the one that it comes down to, not what happened or why, but who was the clown that thought that would be a good idea? And I can think of, a, I don't know, a dozen things in the last 10 years of American history where I think I would want to know those answers. But as with all of these things, they would tell me the answer and then I'd be like, pissed off about it. And then I'd have to go off and like walk in nature for a while to get myself back centered. I'd ask if there's something next, uh, because while I don't think it changes the kind of person you are and the way you should live, I do think it would probably change my perspective on certain in life investments and the way I spend my energy. Uh, and I think that would be the, the question, because ultimately, in a way, like that's the ultimate question, right? And I think I would ask that one, um, even if I am the only one who gets that answer. <laughs> That's the deep, see, Dave, that's the deeper follow up question there. If they said absolutely positively not, there's nothing next, and then you got to choose to live accordingly, or there absolutely positively is, and how you live now is going to affect what your experience is, uh, which one would change your behavior more? I'm not quite sure. 
Oh, right, uh, Carl, I can't see anything over the abyss of death. I don't know how Daniel Burris sees that one. Let me imply, let me rephrase. Is there something after I die? That's <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what I mean. But no. Is, I, I think I'm too much of a fan of Daniel Burris. I think that what's next is slowly coming into focus, and if we just stare at it long enough, we'll figure it out. No, don't care about that. None of that stuff matters. No, he's the... When I die, is there something on the other side? I would ask that question. <laughs> oh, oh, well, that's the next. You're not talking about, you know, which, uh, which technology is going to win the day. Okay, got it. See, I heard somebody say recently, if you live as though there's nothing after this, then you have to make every decision based on just the value of today. And I was like, yeah, I get that. I understand. And then somebody said, yeah, but imagine that they're absolutely guaranteed is something. Would that change your behavior? And I was like, boy, I hope not. I hope that I'm already like not a jerk for whatever reason. I'm not a jerk and it's not just for scorekeeping, but you know. I just said that. I would ask the big one. I would ask the big one. All right. Deep. The days of limiting yourself to the big players is coming to an end. Modernize your cloud offerings by partner with Linode and Akamai. The cloud landscape is growing with alternative cloud providers like Linode offering better priced performance and better support at a fraction of the cost. There's just some clients that don't fit into the one-size-fits-all boxes of the big three. Enter Linode, Linux cloud hosting, at the fraction of the cost of the big players. Your customers can save up to 70% on their cloud bill. Find out more at linode.com slash MSP radio. And I know they didn't pay for this, but I will just make a note that we moved all of our 30-some uh, websites to Linode servers last year. So nice. just, just a note. Just, a, you know, a, a factoid for life. And with that, we're going to dive into our first topic here, gentlemen. Uh, labor is in the news. Sometimes because they are being hired, sometimes because they are not being hired, sometimes they are being unhired. And as you all know, uh, large companies are leading the news headlines these days. 6% of the workforce at Google, 6% of the workforce at Meta. Today, 6% of the workforce at Spotify. Anybody see a trend uh, that's going on there? Um, I, it makes me wonder, A, what's the real reason behind that? And B, um, are, are they doing it because their technology just woke up and wasn't valuable anymore? Or is it for something else? But first topic that we're going to get into, sirs, here I think is a very interesting one, considering that we focus very much not on the enterprise class organizations in this world, but on the SMB, the small service providers, the small end users. And one of the news items, and we're linking to a couple of articles here in the show notes that I would highly recommend people go and check out about large businesses are shedding workers where small businesses are A, hiring them and B, hoarding them, keeping them around through uh, times when they might have previously let them go. Uh, Gentlemen, any lessons coming from these topics? Anything that you guys would like to observe? I just could say that I, I love that this is happening and that uh, owners of businesses are making the decision that it's more valuable to keep good employees than it is to go uh, save a few nickels and go find good employees down the road uh, when you've lost all, everything. I have known many companies over the years who 
in tough times have just made the decision, we're not going to fire anybody. We're going to try to reduce hours. We're going to lay people off or, you know, reduce their, their hours without laying them off. And um, they have all been run by really good people who, in the end, uh, came out of that downturn with a you know, bunch of employees who absolutely love them for life and will do anything for them. So uh, this isn't this isn't a great movement that somebody started. This is just what certain really good, wise employers do. And it's a huge, expensive decision. Don't get me wrong, but basically to keep people on in the tough times so that you've got them when things improve gives you a massive step up on the competition when things turn around. This is the worst named trend. I mean, I, I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of bad names, but this one's going to like, because in a way it's actually designed to, the word hoarding has such a negative implication when in fact what's happening here is owners are making investments in their people, in training, in advancements, like in, in, in investing in their people and they're making sure to to invest in them long term to have good people when they need them that's all good things that's not hoarding that's not like keeping them like that's actually investing in your people this is it's and you look at it and they say you know and and you dig in the moment you dig into this trend and the, and the articles that we're linking to you see that this is all about like good like keeping good people and growing them and advancing along with them. Why wouldn't I want staff that is better, more effective, better trained, that is better at their jobs? Oh, and by the way, been with me and has institutional experience and has has some level of investment back based on the fact that I have invested in them. That that's all good. I don't get I, I just don't get this desire to portray these kinds of investments as bad, and particularly when wait till I say on the next round of articles you'll or you know topic two when I compare against that and what I'm gonna my perspective on the layoffs. Oh, this is all good. See, and and people in the wide world might not believe this about us, but we rarely crow a lot when we are right. Right When we make a big call and it turns out not to just be kind of okay, but absolutely positively freaking spot on, I'll call Carl out for this one. Because if you guys remember, in the midst of the early days of the pandemic, when the world was falling apart and everybody got locked in their house and we were like, oh my God, is this the end of civilization or at least the end of our businesses? Everybody freaked out and Carl said, relax for a minute and remember that it is harder to replace a worker than it is to keep them on. And when, as it inevitably will, things turn around, you're going to be in a better position. Now, that one was a big surprise because it didn't even take six months, right? If you guys remember, we all we went into that pandemic thinking it's the end of the world. And then we all went around and said, oh, wait a minute, we sell technology and the world needs to buy everything in technology in the pandemic. And lots of vendors and lots of solution providers had record years in 2020, except for the ones that went in there and snap judgment laid off a bunch of people in the first and second quarter and then turned around in Q3 and Q4 and went, oops, psych, I got to hire you guys back. I swear I was just kidding. I want you to come back and be my employees, to which all of those prospective employees said, yo, 
It was only six months ago you laid everybody off and we remember that. Why would we join you if you just are going to jettison us during the hard times? We called it then and I'm calling it again now. I think there will be confusing times. I think it will be, uh, you know, there will be some uncertain quarters. But hanging on to your people not only keeps the, the talent and the skill around, but it wins loyalty that is incredibly yeah. valuable. Yeah, you, you want to guarantee you want to guarantee everybody wants a raise when they come back. Lay them off and then ask for them to come back three months later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, so I'm going to transition us to the very related second topic, which is you know addressing Silicon Valley's round of tech layoffs with Meta, Amazon, Salesforce, Stripe. Twitter, you know, there are all of these mass layoffs, particularly as we look at last week, you know, there were there were a massive number of jobs lost in in this in in tech. Plus, you then layer in the fact that jobs in tech are actually proving to be less interesting and related to those you know and appealing to those younger. And finally, you know, you layer on top of that the fact that the there is uh, a shift from generalists to specialists, uh, you know, Gents, what's your take then on the other side of this? Is, is if you've got a group, the small businesses potentially quote unquote hoarding, but you've got all of this take on the dynamics of the, the tech, the tech workforce. Well, you know, big companies Time to weigh in. <laughs> are more prone to fads than small companies. I think small companies need to stick to their knitting in order to be profitable. Big companies, uh, they go in waves, right? And I've seen it. I mean, where I live, which is you know an inch from the Silicon Valley, we're constantly affected by layoffs. You know, usually it's a thousand at a time when, when it doesn't make the news, but hiring a thousand at a time, laying off a thousand at a time, uh, it's all about the bottom line for them. You know, they are not interested in actually the long-term, like there's nobody, nobody in a large corporation is motivated to the long-term interests of the corporation, except the stockholders and the stockholders don't sit on the board. Right. Everybody who wants to get their bonus at the end of the quarter has got to do whatever dance it takes uh, to make their X percent. And so uh, human beings are just, you know, things, pawns in the game. And uh, <laughs> see, pawns so, in the game. I think that's the correct analysis. Right. Let's let's nobody should make a mistake. These are not economic decisions. These are not business operations decisions. These are stock price decisions. Your stock is going down because your future prospects don't look quite as unrealistically rosy as they did a year ago. You never achieved that growth that you were talking about a year ago, two years ago. You were never going to, but people were willing to believe the lie. Now that they're not willing to believe your fantasy story, you have to tell them a different story, which is, oh, look at me. And uh, the CEO of Google comes out and says, oh, I, I 100%, I feel you and I take responsibility. And I'm like, well, are you going to pay for people's mortgages out of your hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that you're taking out of feeling what the responsibility of that is. A, a killer statistic that came out today that I think everybody should uh, stop and think about. 12,000 employees is what is what Google Alphabet said that they were going to lay off. And yet, in the last nine months, they have spent more than $57 billion on stock buybacks to prop up their stock price and to reward their shareholders instead of their employees. Uh, the math that they did on that is if you took all 12,000 of those employees that are getting laid off and you pegged them against the median salary for those individuals, 
the amount of money they've spent just on stock buybacks in the last calendar year would be enough to compensate all 12,000 of those people for the next 23 years. This has nothing to do with their operating cost. It has nothing to do with whether or not the business is planning for a new economic reality that they didn't anticipate. It's about stock price and that's it. And you know what? This is where small businesses are born. This is where people who used to work for these large organizations realized that they were a rounding error and that all of the, the fancy talk about changing the world didn't mean diddly when it came down to that guy pumping the stock to make his own bonus. And so they go out and do it on their own. And I would not be at all surprised if, I don't know, 10,500 of those 12,000 people from from Google are going to turn around and go, you know, I think I'm going to start a software firm. I think I'll start a professional services firm. I think I'll compete with Google because they didn't have anything into it for loyalty for me. Why should right. I have it Le for them? Leaders are made in tough times, not in good times. And I'm going to say a couple of bits on this is, is that, look, all these guys, everybody puts on pants the same way. One leg at a time. You know, everyone, you th it's, it's easy to think that they're these amazing, world-changing, smarter than all the rest. No, they get up out of bed and they put on their pants exactly the same way as the rest of us. And remember that. Because, by the way, when things are on the rise, nobody ever takes says, oh, this is just because the market's great. They all take credit for it when things are on the up. But on the down, they'll all quick to say, oh, it's market conditions. No, in fact, good leaders are the ones that are leading through bad times and who manage through. And if your answer is, well, I'm just going to cut, per the previous segment, these are, these are business leaders who are saying, no, in rough times, I'm going to invest in my people. I'm going to make my organizational organization stronger by holding this. Don't buy into the hype that they are any different than the regular small business leader in terms of their accountability to execution. And they don't get to take to say that they are brilliant during good times and it's all the market's fault during bad times. That's not how this works, guys. Actually, you were bad leaders. You made bad choices during the good times and now other people are paying the price. It's interesting. Uh, I think that uh, history will look at Southwest and say that there was a point at which they they shifted directions and went down the wrong road. Um, but when they were doing things well, it was when in times of growth they said, we're going to grow at a steady, sustainable rate. We are not going to open 10 new uh, airline spots at once. We're going to add one city at a time. We're going to take it slow and plan for the long term. Uh, when that, when, you know, Kelleher left, basically. But when that shift changed and they said, oh, we need to make sure that the investors get their percentage, then they started making bad decisions. And I just think that that's uh, pretty much the norm when there's too much money in the economy, which is where we are and where we've been for several years. And, you know, I'd be, I'm, I'll look ahead 11 and a half months and say, my report on what I did in my State of the Nation address will say, thankfully, I predicted at least 10 days before these announcements came out that uh, the day of the overpriced employee in tech is coming to an end. And I said, I didn't know if it's going to happen in six weeks or six months or six years, but it will happen. Well, uh, I think that day is here. <laughs> 10 days. 
<laughs> See, and that's the thing, right, guys? If you think of the trend of decisions that were made, Dave, to your point, bad decisions in good times. If you look since 2018 at the workforces at Google, plus more than 100%, and you look at Meta, plus more than 60%, and you look at Amazon, plus 100%, right? Um, uh, at Apple, plus 20%. Um, one of these things is not like the other, and it comes down to the level of which one has not announced a massive layoff yet. Um, the one who made reasonable, measured, business-sound decisions during good times, and, and by the way, not for nothing, one of them is also larger than all of the others and makes more profit than all of the others. And wouldn't you know, it's the one whose employees are loyal and they make products that are based on customer demand, not the ones who are just goosing stock prices to make bonuses. Yep. So it's funny because that was the, the point I wanted to weigh in before we moved on was exactly that is Tim Cook and Apple funny he didn't go crazy when they were the good times and over hire he also isn't so far has not pulled a bunch of layoffs on this stuff and it is very much a i have a long-term vision and i'm going to execute on it and he's not pissing money away on crazy ideas <laughs> that, that may not come. Well, imagine just you final have. note on this is that now that all these people have been laid off it's ironic but some companies will lay off staff so that they can rehire other people at a lower price now that the market is flooded and thus <laughs> you live by the sword and you die by the sword our final topic uh the the um mm -hmm. there's a great author uh many of you may have heard of cal newport and uh, he talks about balancing you know work and how people can develop habits for what he calls deep work. And if you haven't read the book, Deep Work, it's spectacular. And he has a little note in the New York Times that I wanted to talk about because he's looking at the way that we work and points out that we quote unquote got it wrong when it comes to the digital workplace. You know, and, and his basic thesis is that um, you know, we rarely get technology right the first time, and yet somehow <laughs> we think we've done that with the digital workplace. And so we filled our lives with all of these things that pop up and tweet and beep. And, you know, people always say, oh, well, let's, let's create a Slack channel for this so that we can annoy each other all day long with unproductive chatter. Um, and that somehow that makes us feel like we're being more productive when in fact it is reducing the amount of productivity. And it's everything from habits to the actual technology itself. And I completely, this obviously I put this topic in because <laughs> this goes right down the rabbit hole with me with Relax, Focus, Succeed, that we, we spend so much of our lives creating interrupt-driven habits and then we think that that makes us productive when in fact uh, it, it hurts us in a big time. and. If during this last paragraph you have checked Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, your bank account, your PayPal, your Stripe, uh, and uh, CNET News, um, you might be a victim of exactly what he's talking about. Well, it's what was interesting to me is is that there's an implication that applying technology immediately makes it right, right? That we we have this idea of well, I have bought this tool and I have put it in place, uh, it must be working. 
but that's not I mean if I if I did the same thing in the physical world people would look at me funny right it doesn't necessarily work exactly right the first time there's tweaking there's implementation there's, there's been and if you think about it from a work culture perspective that stuff doesn't just happen and it doesn't just magically happen. It takes a deliberate investment to build an organization that has that rhythm, that has that culture that you want. And slapping technology on it just doesn't make everything perfect. And that's what's really interesting to me of this is that he's just sort of calling that out. Like if I'm oversimplifying, he's saying, look, technology is not just magic. You don't just throw it these tools at people and then all of a sudden everything is amazing. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I actually would sort of play on the, the, the article title in a way. They says the digital workplace is designed to bring you down. I could almost argue that the workplace is designed to bring you down, right? period. Like the workplace in general, oftentimes on its own, can just be a, be a down place. It takes deliberate action to create those positive environments. Digital, phys physical, that actually doesn't matter. It's the deliberate choices. Well, and as we have said a number of times on this program, many things are cyclical in the world of business and particularly in technology. I'm going to go back uh, 16 years. I think right now, 16, 17 years, uh, we all know and love Dan Wensley, right, in the industry. And, and I remember having a conversation with Dan many years ago where, and Dan was selling automation and productivity tools for MSPs, right? That was his gig at the time. And where, where he said, listen, everybody needs to just understand the work that goes into making a successful business is not just buying and installing my software. It is learning how to run, how to design a process, how to run a process, and then apply technology to make it faster. Because if you automate a bad process, all you get is wrong answers faster. And I, I've never forgotten that comment. I think it is absolutely on point. I think of two things that I take away from the article that, that you posted, Carl, as well as just this kind of topic in general. Number one, the paradox of choice. If you guys haven't read that book by Barry Schwartz, again, I will go back and say, I think it's one of the, the smartest pieces of psychological analysis. No choice is bad. Choice is good. Therefore, more choice is better, right? Wrong. Humans do not respond to more choice more effectively. In fact, it's what causes the paralysis of analysis. And not only does it make it more difficult, more time-consuming to make any choice, but it also increases the probability that you will be unhappy with your choice once you have made it. If you, again, go and read this book. I think the psychology is absolutely spot on, and it speaks directly to this world of work interruptions. I should focus on this. I should focus on that. I need input in order to do my job. One input is not enough. Two inputs is better. 37 inputs, that must be a good thing, right? Wrong. It makes it impossible to choose where to focus. And it absolutely guarantees that once you do choose, later on you're going to go, oh, man, I'm bad at my job because I chose the wrong one. You're not bad. The interruptions are bad. And the second point that I'll make is there is no such thing in human psychology as multitasking. It doesn't work. It cannot happen. Your brain is analog. It is very much on or off, ones and zeros. That's the way that the human brain works. If you're thinking about one thing, by definition, you are not thinking about the second. If you stop to think about the second, by definition, you are no longer thinking about the first. I see job descriptions, ads in the recruiting world where people say critical skills must be good at technology, must be good, must be professionally good at multitasking. 
must be professionally good at not wanting to work for that boss because that's not real. That's not actually a thing. And anybody who says, oh, no, no, I can multitask. No, no, no. What that means is you've gotten really good at switching rapidly from one thing to another. But as human brains work, every switch causes friction and therefore every time you pay attention to the next and the next and the next and you come back over here, you lose bandwidth and you are less effective than you could have been if you'd have just kept paying attention. And I tell you, I, ha I had one of those reinforcement re uh, experiences just recently. So, by the way, I'm renovating my kitchen, as, which has been behind the scenes <laughs> drama for all of this. We are all very that. sorry but for what you. I <laughs> but I'm having, but I'm, but I'm having the opportunity again to interact with a fellow small business owner, right? The the owner of the organization, and it is so reinforced for me that wow, technology consultants, there remains opportunity to teach people how to use these tools better. As I mean, literally just being able to show him the the hey, did you know you can control notifications <laughs> after hours? Did you know you can set up your different profiles? Did you know you can turn go from on to off, like based on location, based on mode, like based on environment? You can build a high availability during certain times and low availability versus other, and you can actually use technology to enhance that versus being a slave to it. it was, and it was just that element of like, oh, no one has ever taken the time to train this business owner on how that all works. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are in need of the investment in making this better. Why I spend all my time thinking about how work is changing is because I'm convinced that providers that spend time in there are going to do really, really well. Well, and I would just encourage people that the answer is not in technology. <laughs> Oddly enough, the answer to controlling technology is in having good habits about technology. If you were to come to work for me today, you would spend the first 12 months hearing me say almost every day of your life that what we need to do to be productive is to slow down and be more deliberate and get more done. And so, you know, that means don't try to do two things at once. Don't don't try to do six things at once. Don't try to get it done faster. Get it done right. And eventually you'll, you will get it done faster because you will learn the processes and procedures, but you, you become more productive when you use technology appropriately. I love the fact that phones now have the ability to say, oh, you can limit the number of screens you have open, the number of programs working in the background, you know, you can monitor all this kind of stuff. The computer, the desktop computer needs to begin to have the same kind of technology. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. And so in the short term anyway, you need to develop the habits of not opening 942 things at once. See, and as a person with 942 browser windows open, I feel that advice right there. And by the way, I also learned recently that the more browser windows you have open, the less battery life you get out of your yes. cell phone. So, you know, win-win, win-win. Even your phone can't Shock. keep up. <laughs> With those words of wisdom from Ryan, we come to the end of episode 200 of the Killing It, Killing it. podcast. 200 times. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.